Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Everyone, today I'm here with Brunella. Brunella Cosayola is an award-winning author, best-selling editor, and translator. You know, when I was younger, side note, I wanted to be a translator, and then I realized how hard it was to learn another language fluently enough to be a translator. So <laughs> I let that dream go. I was like in, I think I was like in sixth seventh grade, seventh grade. And I started, I was, I was starting my first language class. And I know in other countries, like you start learning a second language, like a lot earlier than we do in the United States. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, no, not as easy as I thought it was, but anyways, so yay for you. I know that that's, that's not an easy thing, but amazing thing. Like I heard once you learn one, uh, like an, an, one additional language, it becomes easier to learn more after that. Right. Is that true? Is that true? Well, it depends on which language you want to learn. I think if you want to stay with uh, languages that come from Latin, then it might be easier. Uh, but I studied Japanese as my third wow. language, so that was completely different. Yeah, but we'll talk about it. Oh my gosh. Anyways, yes. <laughs> uh, so Brunella was raised in Bacoli, a small coastal town west of Naples, southern Italy. Brunella is passionate about sharing her home country's culture, traditions, and history through her stories. Founder and owner of the Military Editor Agency, LLC, a ghostwriting and editing agency catering to military authors and military-related manuscripts, Brunella helps fellow writers tell their stories and achieve their publishing dreams. By the way, I did not know that you were the owner and founder. (laughs) And I've heard of it before because my spouse was in the military, so like... Yeah, I was, I I did not know. So yeah, congratulations. I've heard a lot about it. Oh, thank (laughs) you so much. I've actually had, I think I've had a couple of people on the podcast who have actually like used your agency in some way, shape or form, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I've had a lot of military spouses on anyways. People are like, I love your little side notes, Megan, when you're, you're reading bios. And I was like, I don't know, things pop in my head. And I'm like, I just need to add this in it adds flavor. But (laughs) anyways, uh, Brunella is a proud mama of her two Italian American children who are an endless source of inspiration for her stories and a, and devoted air force wife to her now retired husband. Hallelujah for retirement. (laughs) Brunella lives in Florida with her family and their three dogs. Her latest children's book, a stroke of magic, the dinosaur woman published by W Brand Publishing, is out now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. And I'll link that up in the show notes so people people can grab it, whether they have kiddos or not. I mean, I'm an adult and I love to read children's books. Um, So (laughs) I I like to read for fun, like at night, like for leisure, right? Because I'm in college, so I read a lot, you know, um, of like really serious, like academic stuff. And so at night before bed, I like to like read for pleasure. And a lot of times I'm reading the stories. Now my kids are older, so they're more like chapter books, but I'm reading the stories my kids are reading. I'm like, this is so cool. 
Yeah, yeah. And actually, A Stroke of Magic is a chapter book. <gasps> and it's book one in a brand new series titled A Stroke of Magic. And book one talks about the dinosaur woman, uh, which is fitting for March since it's um, Women's History Month. Yeah, And in this book, we highlight the... Uh, female paleontologist, her name was Mary Enning, her discoveries, um, they contributed to the theory of evolution put forth by Charles Darwin. Uh, but her many discoveries were credited to male scientists and male mm -hmm. paleontologists because of her gender. So what I wanted to achieve with this book was bring her name out of history amnesia and really celebrate her story. Well, now I'm going to have to get the book um, because <laughs> I think my kids would love that, especially my daughter. She wants to be a robotics engineer. Uh, and, STEM. you know, yeah, STEM is such a male dominated field. I'm like, girl, yeah. you will go to college for free. I mean, she's 11. She might change her mind, but she's wanted to do this since she was like five years old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're six years now. She's like, I'm going to be a robotics engineer. And I told her, I'm like, if you still want to do it when you get ready to graduate high school, like there are so many scholarships like for women in STEM because it's such a male dominated field that yeah. you won't have to pay a single you want to take out college loans. You won't have to do anything. So she would probably love it. And her brother would, too, because like, I don't know, in our household, it's like, you know, we are just a it's not a gender role kind of household. It's like, we all do the things, doesn't yeah. matter what your gender is. So he would probably love it too. Cause we've had lots of conversations about women not getting the credit that they need. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's why I wanted to highlight, and actually the entire book series is going to be highlighting a figure whose name has been lost to history amnesia, either because they were, they were female or perhaps because of their race or because of their, um, they were immigrants. So every book is going to highlight a historical figure uh, who's not been given the credit that they deserved. I love that. And usually we don't talk about books on this podcast, but I'm like, this sounds interesting. Keep going. No, we're going to talk about something. Else, but I will, <laughs> I will definitely because um, Easter's coming up and uh, my kids love to read. So we're going to get them like uh, some books for their Easter present. People are like, that sounds weird. Most kids want toys. No, I buy them toys all the time and they don't play with them. They either play with their electronics or they read. So I'm just like, I'll get them another book. Right. And so, yeah, I'll definitely if have to you, grab yeah, a copy myself. Like if you'd like for, you know, to order a signed copy, send me an email at brunella at italianwriter.com and the signed books will come with a small gift that has okay. been very well received by all the other children who've received it. Okay. So, um, that, I don't think that's the email I have, is it? No. no. So maybe after this, you can email me that email and do you I want will. me to put it on the show notes for other people? Sure. Yeah, okay. Of course. And then I, mean, I can email you and we can set up how to get a signed copy for the kids for Easter because they'll awesome. be even more excited. They're like, oh my gosh, my mom, they think I'm famous anyways because of the podcast. They're like, yes, you're you famous. Are famous, girl. <laughs> like, no, I'm not. And then they're like, but you are because you have this podcast. And then to, what strengthens their belief that I'm famous is like occasionally they'll come across somebody that has listened to the podcast. So when we lived in Virginia, that's when I started the podcast and like it spread. I have a big listenership in Virginia and one of their teachers they had was a listener of the podcast. 
And because they're proud. They tell all of their teachers, my mommy has a podcast. It's the Inspired Women podcast. And that just fed their belief that I'm famous when their teacher's like, oh, I listen to that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But that's amazing. As a mother, I can relate. That's amazing. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, okay. okay. You can, you can tell, you can, you know, pretend that mommy's famous. Okay. So yes, they'll be like, oh my gosh, you knew this writer who came on your podcast. Yes. Yes, they did. You know, anytime I can use that to my advantage where I'm like, yes, mm-hmm, I did. But anyways, wow. yes. Um, so you applied to come on and, and talk about, you know, being an immigrant and what that's like for you. Uh, we've had a couple uh, different immigration stories on the podcast. We've uh, we've had another um, a military spouse on the podcast. Anna, is it Rab? Rabe? Maybe it's Rabe. Um, she immigrated from Australia and she was talking about like, even for her, like coming from like another, like English speaking country, it was still a lot of hoops. She had to, it was like a ridiculous, she's like, it was a ridiculous process. Like they lost her papers and like all this stuff. And then we had, uh, someone who, uh, came over and they ended up being here undocumented because again, Papers got lost. The attorney they hired was the shysty one and took their money and didn't do what they were supposed oh, no. to. And it took them years to be able to get their papers through. And so there were some years that they were here undocumented. We had another one on who she didn't know she was brought here undocumented until she was 18. And I think she said she wanted to go to college. And they oh, were like, wow. oh, by the way, you don't have like, you know, um, so yeah, it was all very interesting. I love immigration stories. I'm sure there's more that I'm forgetting. Those are the ones that, um, are sticking out, but I'm going to link the category up in the show notes, um, which anybody who doesn't know what the show notes are, if they go to the, the website, inspiredwomenpodcast.com, it's just the information I have listed below the episode. That's the show notes. Um, and if you're on like iTunes and stuff, usually you can like click on the episode and it'll show the information, but anyways, so yeah, we've had a lot, but every story is unique. And so I would love for you to start us off. Like what, what started you to become an immigrant? Like why, why, why leave, why leave your, (laughs) your native place? Right. So, um, as you mentioned, I was born and raised in Bakuri, which is a small coastal town, um, very close to Naples in southern Italy. And ever since I was five years old, I have had a passion for English language as well as American culture. And that came through Hollywood movies, of course, but also through music. When I was five years old, I uh, it was during Christmas time, and there was a concert, a Michael Jackson concert that was uh, shown on Italian TV, and I fell in love with his music and the rhythm and the songs and the dance. But of course, I couldn't understand what he was talking about because he spoke English. So I asked my mother, I said, why can't I understand him? Mm-hmm. And she told me that he spoke a different language. And it was at that moment that I said, mm-hmm. I want to learn his language, because I need to understand what he sings in his songs. And fortunately for me, I have two very encouraging and supporting parents who 
immediately understood it wasn't just something that a child says. A five-year-old doesn't simply say, oh, I want to learn this language because I have a goal to achieve. So they were able to get me a private tutor at the time in Italy. Yeah. At the time in Italy, it wasn't common for elementary schools to teach a second language. Mm. Nowadays, it actually is. And they even hire native speakers to help with the pronunciation. Wow. Yeah. So that's why I believe it might be a little easier for uh, Europeans to speak a second language or at least um, listen to it, uh, be exposed to it, because, of course, we have many you, you you travel to another country in Europe and there is a completely different culture, lifestyle, language. So it might be a bit easier than it is here in the U.S., Uh, But anyway, so I started learning English language at the age of five. And even though it took me years and years and years to finally get to a point where I could translate uh, a Michael Jackson song, in particular, was Smooth Criminal, that I wanted to really (laughs) understand what he was talking about. Um, My passion for American culture never stopped. If anything, it increased because just as I was starting to understand what Michael Jackson was talking about in his songs, I was, of course, introduced to Black history, Black culture, um, and and my passion simply increased. So I decided to take it a step further, and that's why I decided for my bachelor's degree, I wanted to study uh, English language and culture with a specific focus on American Anglo-American literature. And at the same time, I had the opportunity to choose another language and culture I wanted to study. So I chose Japanese language and culture. And it was through a scholarship that I received um, that I was able to study for six months on an exchange student program in the Netherlands at Leiden University. Ooh, um, that sounds nice. Yes. And actually, I fell in love with Leiden. It's such a small little town, mm-hmm. college town. Um, and, you know, lots of canals and windmills and so many international students there, over 2,000, that I decided after I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I wanted to move to Leiden to study for uh, a master's degree in American history. So that's what I did. I was lucky enough to be accepted by Leiden University as a master's student. And six months into my master's degree, my American literature professor told me, you love literature so much. Why don't you take also another master's degree in American history? And I said, okay, great. Thank you. Once I graduate with this first one, we'll talk about it and we'll consider it. And she said, no, 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 no. You have amazing organizational skills. You can take two master's degrees at the same time. Yeah. Dual degree. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I did what every student in their right mindset would say. And I told her basically in the kindest way I could find that she was crazy. (laughs) Um, There was no way I could take two master's degrees at the same time. Also, because at the time, I was part of an international student network uh, organization and I was a board member and I had just launched the very first English language newspaper at Leiden University, which, by the way, is still going strong 12 years later. Wow. Way to go. Thanks up on the back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dust your shoulder off. But anyway, so I... She insisted, and and the fact that she believed in me so much made me believe in in myself that I could do it. 
And I took two master's degrees at the same time. I graduated with both three months apart from one another, but I just soaked in as much culture as I possibly could and as much knowledge as I possibly could. However, in the meantime, I was engaged to my now husband and we had actually met in Naples. So my hometown. And he was there um, on a special duty assignment. He's American. He was in the Air Force. Um, We fell in love a year after we began dating 16 years ago. He proposed and I said, yes, of course. But I gave him a stipulation. I said, I want to marry you. However, my education is so important to me that before I become a wife, I want to complete my studies. If you can wait for me until then, then we'll we'll definitely get married once I graduate with what at the time I thought was going to be only one master's degree. So he agreed and he did all he could to stay in Europe because after his special duty assignment in Naples, his time was almost up in in Europe and he was set to go back to the United States, but he knew Mm -hmm. that I was going to go to Leiden. Uh, in the Netherlands. So he applied for another special duty assignment, this time in England. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, as luck would have it, he got the assignment. So he moved just across the channel from me. And we will visit, we'll take the boat across the channel and we will visit over the weekends. Uh, And once I was done, once I graduated with both master's degrees, Mm -hmm. I moved to England to be with him. Um, And it was there that I decided, you know, I don't want to stop studying. So what I did Mm -hmm. was I uh, earned a certificate in uh, English language teaching to adults. And I began, yeah, and I began teaching English in Cambridge at colleges in Cambridge to uh, students who, like me, wanted to learn a second language. So when that happened, we also, while that happened, we also got married. And I became officially a military spouse, even though I had already been living somewhat the military life for about four years by then. And we had a baby, you know, life was idyllic. I had such a great job. My The school I was teaching at believed in me so much that they offered me the most wonderful contract I could possibly desire. And I remember that day I got out of the school. I couldn't call my husband fast enough. And I said, oh my gosh, I have great news. And he said, I have news too. Oh no. I know, I know, you know what's coming. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, I actually told him, okay, you go first. Never in a million years would have imagined what was coming. Mm -hmm. But he said, we got orders and we're moving. And I said, no, no, we're not. Guys, like, I got a contract. <laughs> we can't move now. Of course, um, we moved. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I had a choice. That's how it happens. <laughs> well, you know, I say it's not like I had a choice. I had a choice, but I made my choice. I wanted it's to. It's not the best choice. Trust me, I've made that choice myself. It's not yes. a fun choice to make. No, and it's if- definitely not. No. but it was the one that I knew when I married uh my husband I I understood that me marrying him meant marrying into the U.S. military Mm -hmm. I was told the military will always have to come first as long as he serves so I was aware of it 
I just wasn't, I didn't expect it to happen so quickly. Mm -hmm. I had literally just finished my studies. I had my very first job that was going so well and we had a brand new baby. So where do we move? We moved <laughs> back to the Netherlands. Oh my and, I, I, <laughs> and I said, why are, why am I going back there? I just finished school there. There's no reason why I should move back there, but we did. We moved back there and um, I, I, I thought I was going to be able to keep teaching English as a second language. However, many of the schools that I applied to in the Netherlands told me that I needed to be fluent in Dutch in order to, to be oh. considered as a candidate. And unfortunately, doing, you know, during the years that I studied at Leiden, uh, I was so busy with two master's degrees, launching an English, the very first and only English language newspaper at the university and doing everything else that I just didn't have the time to learn Dutch fluently. I knew how enough, I knew enough Dutch to get around but not enough to be able to teach. So with all of these educational accolades, I found myself unemployed. <sighs> and a brand new mama, our baby boy, who actually recently turned 11, and I can't believe it, but our baby boy <laughs> was nine My oldest old. is going to be 20 in like a little over what? a month. Yeah, I was a teen mom. So yes, I... <laughs> It goes oh, by so fast. I'll so tell fast, you, right? my, my littles are, my littlest ones are 11, but yes, it goes by so fast. I know. You know, my mother <laughs> used to tell me that and I would just brush it off and say, yeah, whatever. Yeah. No, she was right. Yes. <laughs> Turns out she was right. But anyway, I, I found myself unemployed and I, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I was a stay home mom, something that I never really saw myself being while mm -hmm. I was studying. You know, I wanted to be, of course, uh, a present mom, but I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. I was an individual before becoming a mother, and I had goals and dreams that I wanted to accomplish. Um, eventually, my husband suggested, you know, why don't you start writing? You love to write, mm -hmm. so take the time that our son picks his afternoon naps. Those days are long gone now, but they right? were blissful. <laughs> take the time where you don't have to look after him because he's asleep during the afternoon and just write something that you enjoy. So I took his advice and long story short, I began somewhat uh, creating an online portfolio for free. And one day the right person read some of my articles and he hired me for my very first important uh, ghostwriting project. And that is how my career in the American publishing industry began. And that is also how my immigration life, my immigrant life began. Because after the Netherlands, we moved to the United States of America. And I remember my husband saying, explaining to me what a wish list was and how we had eight <laughs> options. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for people who are not familiar with the military, wish list is the places you would love to go. This is ranks from like my very first pick to make whatever. And then you know what? You could not have anything on that list and you could get that. Like this wish, it's called a wish list for I wish these are were my options, but I may get sent someplace that is absolutely not on that list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what happened was he said, Hey, we have the wish list. 
we have eight options and all these bases are available. So where would you like to go? I'm a Southern girl. I was, you know, brought up by the Mediterranean Sea. Um, I was a few steps away from the beach growing up. So of course I put every base I could possibly find that was either in California or in Florida. And my husband one day comes back home from work and he says, hey, we have a base. But I could tell by then his tone of voice resembled very much that phone call that I made when he told me, oh, I have news too. So I said, okay, here we go. Where are we going? Are we going to any bases in California? I asked. And he said, no, no. <laughs> a little, you know, it's not California. Okay. What about Florida? A little farther north from Florida. And I asked, okay, where are we going? And he said, North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to Minot, North Dakota. I said, where? North Dakota. And I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't have imagined what so living much in snow. North Dakota meant. So much snow. Oh, you know, it gets crazy because I found myself during winter times wishing we had snow because it meant it was warm enough for it to snow. Most winters, we <laughs> yeah, were I, yes, below 40 degrees. Below mm. for, so for, for a Southern Italian girl who thought in her very naive mind that the worst winter she ever experienced was in the 60s, going to North Dakota and <laughs> seeing the temperature drop to negative 60 degrees, I, it was a shock um, to my system. But that's how my my story as an immigrant to this country began. Yeah. Wow. That's a culture shock right there. Like if anybody like in the United States went from like Florida, where they've been their entire life to North Dakota, they would have a culture shock. And that's still within the same country. You have now moved from another country to a different country. So now you have like, you know, not only a, a, a shock because of the weather, but you have a shock because like, I mean, yes, you were fluent in English, right? You So you knew English. So that wasn't as difficult of a transition, but whole new language, whole new like mannerisms and how people act and like everything like that. So holy moly, how did you, how did you manage to like, like deal with that. Cause I feel like, like, you know, just I'm, I'm, I talked about this earlier with you before, like the episode started is like, you said you lived in Syracuse, New York at one point in time. And I was like, Oh, I'm like three hours. I'm from three hours North of that. And you're like, Oh, Canada. Yes. Canada. That's where I'm from way up there. And when I moved South for the first time, when I was a teenager and I uh, moved to Florida for a couple of years with my dad, Oh my God, it was like a whole different world. And I met people who had never seen snow. And I'm like, you've never seen snow? They're like, no. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> you know, so I can, like, it was probably the reverse for you, except yeah. you're coming from a whole different country. How did you deal with that? Well, it wasn't, unfortunately, just the weather, which I, you know, my dream had always been to move to the United States of America. But because my image of... The United States of America came from Hollywood movies. <laughs> Not same, same. No, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> the image that I had in my mind didn't necessarily match um, the image of Minot, North Dakota. 
And even though uh, the weather was definitely a shock to my system, we arrived in July. So I I was eased into it. Oh, it's good. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, as I said before, it wasn't just about the weather. It was also, I would go to the supermarket and I did not find ingredients for mm. the dishes that I was used to making at home. I had only ever lived in uh, in Europe and being in all the countries I lived in in Europe were part of the European Union. Mm-hmm. So you will find, um, I don't know, a specific type of uh, or a specific brand of, of pasta or a specific type of sauce in every supermarket in the countries that I lived in. And I never felt like I missed uh, anything from home, also because being so close, um, especially when we lived in the Netherlands, we were about, I would say, two hours away by plane from Naples. So my parents oh, okay. would visit often. I would visit back home often. And I never missed home until we moved to to North Dakota. And I remember looking for just tomatoes, the right types of right type of tomatoes that even though I couldn't find, say, the uh, sauce in, in a jar that I was used to, I thought, well, I can make my own, but there were no tomatoes for me to, to make my own sauce. Um, so I found myself having to adjust to the weather, adjust my palate, um, also adjust the way that I lived because Minot is, yes, a military, there's a military base there, Minot Air Force Base, uh, but there's also, uh, it's also a small town mm-hmm. where, um, you know, I met people who had never, ever had or even heard of lasagna. And I... Wait, wait, never I, like even like the Americanized version? No, not at all. So I they know, didn't watch I Garfield's when they were kids. I guess they were... not, <laughs> right? I guess not. But just like I, it, it was, it was truly a shock mm-hmm. um, for me and for our son, who by then was two and a half years old. And I have to say though that even though it took me a little bit of time to adjust, um, what Minot gave me was another hometown and. Mm-hmm. I was surrounded by people who were willing to learn from me and were willing to teach me about the United States and what life is like in a small town. Um, And I was adjusting while at the same time trying to assimilate Mm -hmm. uh, without losing myself. And I found it very hard at times not to assimilate into American culture uh, so much that, that I would lose my Italian heritage, yeah. um, which I think I did at some point. I became so focused on trying to fit in. I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to be part of a, a community. I didn't want to stand out. I was so tired of standing out. Whenever I opened my mouth to speak, people would say, oh my gosh, I love your accent which is, you know, such a great compliment and, and it was so well received, but at the same time, it made you immediately feel like an outsider because you yeah, have an I accent. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. And, 
And and there's nothing you can do about that accent, even though you've studied the language for years since you were five, you've got this accent, there's no way of getting rid of it. And everywhere I went, I was reminded that I was a foreigner um, mm. in not in direct ways, although there were those as well. Um, you know, unfortunately, you can't help people asking you if, uh, oh, is it really like what we see in The Godfather? Uh, <laughs> or, and, you know, Sorry, think, just little, to me, that seems so ludicrous. Like. Right? <laughs> or, oh my gosh, so is your family one of the families? Oh my God. And I know, I know. There were those people too, but they're everywhere. They're in Italy too. So it's yeah. not just something about the US. Absolutely not. I mean, you did just, admit that you thought the United States is different because of what you saw on, exactly. you know, so, so it, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but anyway, I, I had that too, but at the same time, there were many comments made to me that certainly did not come from any negative, uh, point of views. They were simple comments like, oh my gosh, um, you know, your last name always oh, sounds so good when you say it. And I'm not even going to repeat it. Cause I don't want to, uh, I don't, <laughs> I, I even don't said that to you. I'm like, when I say it's nice, how it's beautiful is what you say. <laughs> yeah, But just you, you, I appreciate you because you made the effort to ask me, how do I pronounce your last name? That is something that as an immigrant who has a very hard last name to pronounce, it makes me feel like you care. Whereas when people don't even try say, you know, I had to go for, for blood work and I'm sitting in the waiting room, waiting for the nurse to come and call me Brunella. Ka, ka, ka. And then they will look around. I will stand up and I would say, it's me to save them, uh, you know, stop them yeah. from their misery. And they would say, oh, okay, good. I couldn't even, I couldn't possibly pronounce your last name. How does that make an individual? Yeah, feel? instead of saying like, well, how do I pronounce your last yes, name? So I can just say it from courtesy. here on out. Yeah, no, totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, I, I also at some point began to have, you know, I was just tired of not even being recognized as a human being, basically, by attempting to pronounce my last name, mm-hmm. at least if you try to pronounce it and you do so uh, in the wrong way, I can't blame you because you tried. Mm-hmm. But simply giving up on pronouncing my name, which is a huge part of my identity. Mm-hmm. You know, as you've noticed, I haven't taken my husband's last name because it's not a common practice in Italy. Um, I wish so- I never had, cause I had like a unique last name and now I'm Megan Hall and there are 10 bazillion Megan Halls out there. <laughs> And so like, but like the tradition growing up for uh side note is, was to take your husband's yeah. last name. Right. Is like, and that's how everybody did it. My mom has taken all three of her husband's last names. Um, so like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, maybe at some point I'm just stop. but um, you know, I wish I had, and I've told my, I've, I've told my spouse this, I'm like, you know, I, I just wish I had kept my last name because now I'm on, um, I'm going to be a published author on academic articles. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and even using my middle name, like still very common. Like if I just had my last name that like my maiden name, there was no other like out there, but yeah. So I don't blame you. It's beautiful last name. You should keep it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. And and that's that's why, you know, I felt like I was trying to assimilate 
too much because I did think at some point I did consider, well, should I just take my husband's last name? It's easy to pronounce. Everybody can pronounce it. Nobody has trouble with it. And I thought about it and I just had to make a decision. It came to a point, I came to a point where I thought if I make this decision of changing my last name, for me, it's pushing it too far into assimilating Mm -hmm. an American culture and losing my Italian heritage. I need to keep both alive because by then we had two children, uh, a boy and a girl, and I needed our children to know that yes, they were raised in the United States of America. English is of course their first language. However, they also are Italian. They're Mm -hmm. Italian citizens because thank goodness, Italy and the United States allow for dual citizenship. So one of the things that I made sure of was that both kids had Italian citizenship as well. And slowly, that's how I started regaining my strength and committing to my identity of now that I am also an American citizen, being Italian American. So Mm. um, I, you know, when I first moved here, to the States, I mean, I felt as though in order for me to fit in, I had to give up my Italian heritage, including my Italian last name, uh, because it was so hard to pronounce. And um, I couldn't cook the things that I was used to cooking because I couldn't find the ingredients in supermarkets in North Dakota. Things changed when we moved to New York, uh, such a big Italian community there. I was surrounded by Paisani. I was so happy about it. And Um, Syracuse is a a big city. So you have like the specialty stores and stuff where you wouldn't find that in a small town. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So Uh, And also here in Florida, we have such a big Italian community around. So things have changed, but it came to a point where I had to make that decision for myself and really think, how do I want to live the rest of my life? Uh, My dream was always to move to the States. I accomplished that dream. I became an American citizen. And on the day of... um, uh, when when I was given the American citizenship, I don't think in the entire country there was a prouder American citizen than myself. Um, you know, uh, when I held that little American flag that they give you, I was in tears. I was crying with joy. And at the same time, I realized uh, because of the speech that the judge gave us, I realized, you know, she said the United States are a beautiful mosaic and each one of you i was surrounded by immigrants from from the entire world each one of you brings something unique to our country keep that uniqueness and share it with others oh i love that yeah so those words really stuck with me and made me realize wait a second i don't have to assimilate a hundred percent i can take what i love about the united states of america making my own And at the same time, contribute to this beautiful country that gave me so much by bringing a little bit of my culture. And I do so um, through my stories and um, also through through cooking, which, you know, a a lot of my stories are about food as well, because when I'm not writing... Yeah. When I'm not writing, I'm cooking. When I'm not cooking, I'm writing about food. And when I'm not writing about food, I'm thinking about food. So yes. (laughs) I think about food all the time. Yeah. 
you know, and I grew up, I grew up in a, a very small town where I'm from. And mm-hmm. so like the food that we ate was, it was really basic. There wasn't like a whole lot of like, I, what I would consider like fancy. They were just like meat and potato kind of things. I mean, if that yeah. makes any sense. Um, and it wasn't until like, I'm, I married my spouse and I moved in with him and like, I'm like trying all of these dishes, not like cultural dishes because like his, his family didn't really, I mean, I mean, his grandmother is Southern. So there was a lot of Southern dishes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole other thing, but like, you know, there wasn't like a specific, um, cultural heritage that they were, it was just all these different and his mom had taught me about like finding recipes and making them. And I'm like, what? There's, I can do more than just like these basic dishes. And it was just, I mean, I'm not saying cooking is my favorite thing in the world. Okay. But like, I do enjoy the fact that I can go on Pinterest and I can just look up ingredients, like say, just, you know, put whatever in there, veggies, whatever, bell peppers, whatever random thing that pops in my head and find recipes that I can follow and make. And most of the time they turn out like, and when they don't, it's not my fault. It's usually the recipe. Cause then you go in the comments and you're like, shit, I should have read the comments first. Cause in the comments they're saying it didn't turn out. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, I love that I got out of that small town um, and was able to like experience different things. I mean, yeah. uh, my spouse uh, was uh, stationed with a guy who's uh, his spouse is from Louisiana, like from New Orleans. And like, so he learned different things from her that we've done at home. It's, it's just amazing. So I really food and cooking. Yes. Food's great. When you can just try different things and, yeah. and do different things. Now, I mean, my cooking probably is not to the level of your cooking because I was not brought up learning these different things you're like I can make my own sauce and I'm like wow that's a whole other level (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's I mean that's how you were brought up right and you learned all these different things and I'm sure they're like traditional recipes that maybe have been passed down generations I envy people for that kind of things because I don't have that like people are like well where are you from? I'm like United States. And they're like, well, where's your family from? I'm like, I don't know. They're a bunch of white people. They're from all over where, wherever <laughs> white people are. Like, I don't know. I, I like, I've never done like the 25 in me or 23 in me or whatever it is. Yeah. I've never done anything like that to like really find out is like, but I know like it's, we're just mutts. Like we don't have like anything. There's nothing that my kids just did like a heritage project for school. And they were asking us like, what are, well, what is some of our background? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I know my grandfather's <laughs> from Canada. He's French Canadian, but Canadians usually aren't from Canada anyways. Right. <laughs> like, his mom is actually, was actually from England and she immigrated through Ellis Island. So that's kind of cool. And I told him that. And then um, my grandfather's, his, his father's were for Ger- from Germany at one point in time, but nobody kept that. Right. And so you didn't learn that. And the same with my spouse. He was like, we don't really have any dishes. So I, long story short, I'm very envious that you have these things that you are able to hold on to because like, I don't have those things. And so I think that's amazing. At the same time, though, when you become a mother, I feel, and I'm sure you can relate to this. When you become a mother, you understand the finality of of life and, and you start to think, what do I really want my children to know about me 
and about this family they're part of. So when I began asking myself that question, I realized that, yes, of course, I speak Italian to them. I also speak my Napolitan dialect, which is now finally been recognized as an official language. Ooh, that's um, exciting. Yes, we actually have um, Napolitan dialect, Sicilian dialect, and uh, Sardinian dialect that have been recognized as official languages because, for example, Napolitan dialect, it's, it's nothing more than a mix of languages of people who have ruled over that part of Southern Italy. So we have Greek words, we have Latin words, of course, uh, Arabic, Spanish, French, all this mixed together creates our dialect. And ah. I speak both languages to them. Uh, they can understand all of it. Um, my son especially speaks Italian really well. My daughter, who is seven, speaks her own version of whatever <laughs> language she wants to speak that day. Most of the times it's a mix of Italian and English. She'll start a sentence in one and end it in the other. Uh, but she understands all three languages very well. So I began to think, what else can I do to really make sure that they know about their Italian heritage besides the language? Because it's not just about the language. And of course, we take them back to Italy uh, off as often as we possibly can, especially now that we live in the States. But one of the ways that Southern Italians communicate is through food. Mm -hmm. And we... We show love through food. We tell legends and stories and, and myths through food. Uh, we have our own celebrations. And for every celebration, we have a very specific dish that we make. So a lot of it has to do with cooking. And that is the reason why I, ever since moving to the States, one way that I've been able to keep my Italian identity is by celebrating carnival, and of course, being American too, we celebrate Halloween. So we dress up twice every year and it's a lot of fun. We change that costumes. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah. We celebrate uh, Easter and on Easter, we make a traditional um, Napolitan dessert, which is called pastiera. And there's a whole story that goes with that. It's about a mermaid who was who lived in Naples on the shores of uh, a beach in Naples. And she fell in love with a Greek God. Um, and Napolitans loved her so much because she used to sing these beautiful songs and they brought her gifts from their land. So they brought her wheat and ricotta and they brought her um, uh, orange and other spices and so forth. Uh, and they, she was so happy about these gifts that she put them all together, creating this beautiful uh, and delicious dessert that we now make every Easter. And I, I share that part of the story with my children through that dessert that they love and eat every year on Easter. And I remind them, this is part of your heritage. Uh, as a matter of fact, as Napolitans, we also call ourselves Partenopei, which comes from the word Partenope, and Partenope was uh, this mermaid's name. So we are children of a mermaid as well. And it is through food that I tell most of my stories to my children, but I wanted to take it a step further. And that is the reason why I also began talking about uh, 
my heritage and, and history and stories of food in my books. I love that. And I could, I could talk to you about this forever. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm so envious that you have this to share with your children. Um, and I try, I tried to create like new things with my kids that like they can carry on. Right. Since I had really nothing to pass down to them. Uh, but we can't stay chatting forever. <laughs> Uh, so as we wrap up the Inspired Women podcast today, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Keep your identity. It is important. So um, if there are any other immigrants listening, for example, make sure you keep your heritage alive and you don't compromise on it. You can share it with your family members or your friends. Uh, find your own unique way to celebrate it, whether it's through food, just like us Italians do, or perhaps it's through dancing, like so many, um, you know, cultures, especially in the Pacific Islands. Uh, tell your stories your way and share it with the United States of America because as an American citizen myself, also, all I want to do is learn about other cultures that make this country so incredibly unique. And what most Americans who grew up in small towns like I did do not realize until you move out of a small town and you go and meet people from all over. When I I moved after I married my spouse and moved to Hampton Roads, Virginia, which is literally like there's like 10 military bases in one area. It is humongous. And it was a lot for me because I've never lived in such a big place, but there's so many people because of that, right? Um, not just because of that, but there was also like uh, different uh, buildings there for, um, I think there was one for different uh, countries. Uh, they had um, people stationed there too. Like I had a friend whose spouse was in the Australian Navy and they were stationed there. So it was like this big, it's the biggest naval base in the world is there. It was, it was a big deal. And you got to meet all these different people and realize like not, not just those, I mean, there are people like you who are American citizens who bring this very vibrant culture to the United States. And it's so nice to like learn about that and understand. And if, if you stay stuck in a small town, you never learn about that because everybody's just the same, right? You, Where I'm from, you rarely saw somebody who did not grow up there or have family that grew up there, right? Um, so it's beautiful. And I agree with you. And I love what the judge said to you, like that you got an amazing judge. You could end up with some yeah. like butthead judge who wouldn't <laughs> say something like that, but that is beautiful. Cause I agree is one of the things about the United States is like, there are so such a wide variety of people that live here. Yeah. Well, Brunella, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And um, I hope to be back sometime. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.